This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello, and this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirate Save the Whales, with Rob and Mob, or Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. That means I'm Mob. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we've got that right. Always when I'm halfway through that, I, I start getting a bit confused about exactly who I am and, uh, you know... Well, it's good you've got that right, Rob, because we are at, I believe, episode 44. Uh, we're up to episode 44, and uh, again, I... I I mean, no doubt, actually, as to where we are. We're still in uh, beautiful downtown Blackburn South. Which and, where, is, and where's the Shenandoah this week? The Shenandoah is, is heading down towards Cape Horn, um, still in the Pacific. Um, but in, in a few very short weeks, they've gone from um, the Arctic. And um, when they get around Cape Horn, they'll be heading back down towards the Antarctic. So, oh, so um, they'll be in danger from icebergs again, but different icebergs. Uh, Antarctic icebergs. Yeah, these I'm ones sure will have penguins uh, floating on them as opposed to polar bears. Yeah, and I believe also the, the Antarctic icebergs um, tend to be rather, rather taller. Um, Cornelius Hunt, uh, whose memoirs we've been using for the last couple of weeks. Um, We'd well, hold them up to the microphone, but we have them online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PDFs don't, don't rustle anywhere nearly <laughs> as well. When you Not as on. satisfactorily, though. No. Although when we look at the PDFs, um, if you're, if, well, I'm about to say if you're listening to this podcast, but yeah, uh, obviously you are. Uh, but... If you hear us clicking away, that means that we're looking up our PDFs. And, not looking uh, at cat pictures on no, Facebook. No, we, we are not looking. We're looking at Cornelius Hunt's diaries uh, online. Uh, but Cornelius Hunt, uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, when they go past um, Cape Horn, uh, he measures a iceberg that from the waterline to uh, the peak is 320 feet, which... Wow. Going on the whole 90% of the iceberg is underwater, um, that implies it must be... That's a, a big bugger. A couple of thousand feet of ice under the water. So they, they didn't see anything as big as that. Um, up in the Arctic, it was more sea ice. But mm-hmm. um, anyway. The, the, the and ice. presumably they could use, you know, um, sextants and all sorts of measures to actually get that as a as a proper measure rather than just a, uh, a guess. That's exactly what he did. And, and perhaps uh, when we get there, we could um, have a bit more of a look up exactly how you would use a sextant to do that. And that, uh, That's opposed to, I remember... Um, about 20 or 30 years later in Victoria, um, we have very tall trees here in Victoria called uh, the mountain ash tree, or yes. eucalyptus regnans, which is, in, in fact, the tallest flowering plant in the world. So they're a little bit smaller than um, the sequoias of yep. uh, northern California, but um, pretty big nevertheless. And apparently uh, in the 1880s, the biggest one ever was found. Now, let me guess. Um, I don't know, but did they measure it by cutting it down? They they did. They worked out it was the biggest one ever by cutting it down and getting out a tape measure, which is a bit sad. Uh, okay. And it was an incredible height, which um, there will be clicking now because I'm actually going to look <laughs> it up so that we can, uh, we can tell you what the height was. Yeah, so apparently this, this gigantic specimen was claimed to be 132.6 metres tall, which is like 435 feet. 
That, that's a lot of feet. It is. Yes. And interestingly, yeah. Baron von Mueller, who was the famous uh, botanist who came to yeah. the colony of Victoria and went around naming trees, he didn't call it the uh, mountain ash. His original name for it was the spurious blackbutt, which is a very unusual name for a tree. And there is some suggestion that that height is... Um, spurious? Spurious. But the one that was measured, that was actually the tallest, um, was cut down. And that was cut down in 1881, and it was 114.3 metres high, which is 375 feet, which is still absolutely stupendous. Um, yeah, I've had, I've had, you know, seven irons that didn't go that far. That is, uh, that's one metre shorter than the world's current tallest living tree, which is one of these uh, redwoods in Northern California, which is 115.5 metres high or 379 feet. The current tallest one is in Tasmania and is 99 metres high. Oh, sorry, the, the current tallest spurious blackbutt. Yeah. Indeed it is. And uh, these are amazingly beautiful trees if you ever come to visit us here in Victoria. Unlike uh, the sequoias and the redwoods, which are massive trees, the uh, mountain ash are very tall and skinny. They're like um, telephone pole skinniness. Now, now let me try and think. 115 metres is, in fact, taller than 320 feet. So if you put... um, the, the, the mountain ash next to Cornelius Hunt's sextant measured iceberg, uh, the tree would have been taller, although it's, it's difficult to work out in which way you would actually... I it. love the fact you've been able to draw a connection back there, Rob. <laughs> That's terrific. Everything is connected, Michael. Everything is connected. Um, anyway, look, um, we, we might do a bit more uh, sextant uh, lawing uh, when, when we get around Cape Horn and, mm-hmm. and back to the, the Antarctic icebergs. But at the moment, um, we are... Still barreling through the North Pacific, and again, have we crossed the line? I oh, know we we crossed the line last week, but if you remember, so we're um, in the Southern Pacific then. Okay, we are in the Southern Pacific. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and oh, that's good. We did a live corrections, emendations, <laughs> and updates. We didn't save it till the week after. Uh, okay, so we are in the the Southern Pacific, and um, they're they're heading along. And um, look, we. We're up to episode 44. I, I think we did some sort of calculation at the start of this podcast that we were going to get up to about 60. I, I actually, I think we must have added an extra month. We must have added a leap month somewhere along the line because um, we're in September. Um, it's on the 8th of November, the Shenandoah arrived, 1865, the Shenandoah arrived back in, um, in, in Liverpool. And I don't really see how that can possibly be much more than than another ten episodes. So I, I, we'll, we'll certainly get to fifty, but um, I don't know that we'll get to sixty. And unless um, there, there was talk at the uh, Australian American Civil War Roundtable uh, Inc. of of sending a representative uh, to the the, the Sesqui- celebration, ten- the sesquicentennial celebrations, as yes. it's called. The, so, so apparently, there's going to be like a gala dinner um, sold out. So. Um, and I think, um, yes, I, I, look, I, I don't know that I'll be waiting for my email to say that we have been selected, because I think given that we, we have been uh, a member of that uh, society for precisely uh, 10 months, I think probably we are, yeah. Whatever the number of members we're they not are. The, we're we, not, we are not the longest serving <laughs> members, that's very true. But it would be great to go over to Liverpool and see all that happen, wouldn't it? Uh, look, look uh, it, it, it would be absolutely wonderful. And I'm sure it would be very much like the, the SeaWorks celebrations in uh, in January with lots of reenactors and plaques. Yeah, it was uh, fantastic. And, and cannons going off and uh, and reenactors. Um, so, and, and then, wow, and then the, the American Civil War sesquicentenary 
really will be over unless we do the centenary of the um, of the court case. Because yeah. Well, we well spoilers. We are going to have a special episode yes. about what's called the Alabama claims. Yes, and that was the uh, court case that happened after all this finished in Geneva. Um, working out just exactly who was responsible for what, but we'll we'll go into yeah, that. Look, a little but bit but later. I don't think we'll do that in real time. I, I don't think we'll wait till you know next year. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We, we, yeah, probably, we might even do that before the journey's ended. We probably won't do that. Now, um, now again, I think it was last week that they they crossed the line, or perhaps the week before, and there were no. It was rather sad. No celebrations. There were no celebrations. Was glim, Everybody glum. was was glim. <laughs> So you, now, what, what's that a portmanteau of? Glum and... Um, grim. Grim, okay. Glum, yes, and, glum and grim. Glim, yes, yes. okay. Well, okay. Uh, it's from reading Whittle's diaries too much. It's just an endless sequence of uh, woe and despair about their, their state. It, it, it gets into your head. Um, look, I'm sure it does. But um, this week, now, um, we, we've moved on to uh, Surgeon Lining's diaries. And uh, look, it's not bad. Um, whereas um, our previous main diary, uh, Midshipman Mason, he was a very high-minded young man. I have to say, Surgeon Lining is not very high-minded. Um, he seems to like his gossip, and he seems to like talking about all of the various terrible things happening, which is actually very good. Uh, you know, really, we, we want this. Um, now, uh, so... Um, on Sunday, August the 27th, 1865, so uh, 150 years ago minus a week today, um, rolling heavy sea, Captain called me up to know about Mannings being able to keep watch as he wanted somebody with Bullock, but I protested against it. Oh, it now tell us. put Colton on. Now, this, tell us about Manning. This is another of um, Captain Waddell's, um, I don't know, Completely tin-eared Com- HR choices. Completely <laughs> tin-eared. Now, now, again, he uh, he needs to uh, find somebody else to put on watch with Bullock because he's gradually been throwing all of his officers off watch. So, if um, you remember last week, we had uh, one officer. He was he was kicked off uh, for sleeping in. Debney Minor Scales was kicked off watch for sleeping in. Um, Cornelius Hunt was kicked off watch. I think for being Cornelius Hunt. I, I think I, for I, complaining that he shouldn't have kicked off yes, the other guys. Yes, yes, exactly. Out. But I, I think the broader thing is that, that he was he was being Cornelius Hunt within earshot of the um, of the captain. And then uh, the captain decided to make the ship's clerk do a watch, and that was considered such an outrageous suggestion. That, yes, the the ship's clerk actually withdrew his uh, his offer to do so, and the captain had to do it. And 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 the problem was that Manning. Now Manning was the second mate of the Abigail, and he came come over to them when they captured the Abigail. And again, as as we as we again allude went through last week, uh, the Abigail was a ship from which they they. The floating liquor cabinet. The, the floating liquor cabinet, uh, where, where they got a copious amounts of booze and all got drunk. But Manning was uh, the second mate of the Abigail, and he was a turncoat. And you know what? I don't think turncoats are... Even when they're joining you, they're not popular. And uh, so, anyway, this, this was Cornelius Hunt's uh, characterisation. So, um, Captain Nye aboard the, uh, the Abigail had a, had a lot of very good charts, and uh, Cornelius Hunt, you know, had a good chat with him about all the dangerous places without the captain apparently realising that, uh, you know, uh, he, he was being pumped. But Captain Waddell still felt that he did not want to go into the Arctic without a competent pilot. And ta da! 
This want, however, was soon unexpectedly supplied. About this time, the second mate of the Abigail began to express a desire to join us, and of course claimed to be a strong southern sympathiser. He was a Baltimorean by birth, anything by profession, and a reprobate by nature. Oh, nicely put. He had last shipped at San Francisco, where, I was informed by one of his shipmates, he had been hired to vote for Lincoln by a drink of whiskey. You know, quite frankly, I think voting for Lincoln and getting a drink of whiskey, you're doing the right thing, and you're getting an alcoholic bonus. I, I think that that's a very good decision, historically, to have, to have made. I think, you know, as long as it was good whiskey. Um, and he now proposed, after a little backing and filling, not only to cast in his lot with us, but to pilot the Shenandoah to the spot where the whaling fleet, which contained more than one vessel upon which he had served, was pursuing its bold, laborious calling. So he's basically proposing to join them and rat out his mates. It is always unpleasant, although sometimes necessary, to accept the services of the most disreputable as men, and as this was an opportunity which was not likely to occur again for securing a guide to the prize we sought, his overtures were received, and Thomas S. Manning was enrolled as ship's corporal and at once entered upon the discharge of his duties. Hmm. Uh, okay, so, so not only... Um, was he a Yankee traitor um, who Waddell was proposing to give a watch aboard their ship? Uh, but I think probably even worse than this, um, he was enrolled as ship's corporal. So uh, he must, I think, somewhere along the line, I think um, Cornelius Hunt mentions later, that given that Manning did then industriously rat out his uh, his former former <laughs> countrymen and did in fact deliver a number of prizes to the uh, to the Shenandoah, I think he was promoted later. But yes, this, this was... Um, Waddell's suggestion to replace uh, Debney Minor Scales, scion of the Southern aristocracy, and Cornelius Hunt. With a reprobate who voted for Lincoln, even if it was for a, vote, a tot of whiskey. Voted for Lincoln for whiskey. So I, I think... Um, and now, now again, the, the other thing about this is that... Um, what, what, excuse me, but why is his Captain Waddell asking the surgeon... I mean, yeah, but aboard the, aboard the Starship Enterprise, I think if, 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 if Kirk's having a HR problem, he goes to Spock first. He goes to his, his <laughs> executive officer. officer. He goes, yeah. he goes to the Mr. Whittle of the piece. He doesn't go to, to, you know, to Bones McCoy and say, hey, uh, you know, should, should we, should we? And, and interestingly, Whittle makes no mention of this whatsoever. Okay. Yes. So, who knows? It, it was obviously completely squashed. Now, now, um, Tuesday, August the 29th, 1865. Much to my surprise, Scales was today restored to duty. How or why, I never asked. Yesterday, there was another row about Hunt. One of the men came to me and reported that there was a great deal of dissatisfaction being engendered among the men by the report of an officer that they were only to be paid one shilling on the pound for, for their wages owed. And if you remember that the, the Chelsea pensioner among them had given up his pension for life. His lifetime his pension. lifetime pension by, yes. by being aboard the Shinodora. And don't forget, they were all recruited with a bucket of gold uh, originally yeah. as yeah. well. What, what happened to this bucket of gold? Anyway. And even further, they had actually captured a whole lot of ships. Yeah, yes, so, so, so where was all their prize money? Okay, okay. Well, um, I think their problem is that because... They lost the war. <laughs> that means they don't get to sail back and have what was called a prize court. Oh, yes. Where the government decides, yes, you legally took all these prizes and here is the prize money to be given out. Oh, dear. So anyway. 
so I think they're going to be lucky to even get um, what what are they saying there? How One shilling on the pound. So they're they're twenty shillings for the pound. I, I, all of the, all of those inner blightons I read when I was a kid, where they had you know lashings of ginger beer for half a crown. St- you know, st- standing me well here. There are twenty shillings to the pound, twenty four shillings to the guinea. Um, and uh, and they're going to get they're, so, so they get, they're basically getting five percent. And okay, but you know what? They're probably lucky to get five percent, given they're on the losing side well, here. Anyway, now and consequently, there was great discontent and some hard talking going on the deck. I I can imagine. I reported this fact to the captain, but it seems that Grimball had heard the same thing from another one and reported. Hunt was the officer who made these remarks, and Whittle gave him a talking to and, I think, confined him to his quarters. So Hunt has been spreading rumours among the men that will tend to alarm them and make them think that they're not being paid. Make uh, them mutinous, in I, fact. I, I think... I think I'd be mutinous if I if I sailed around the world and, and sunk many a whaler and was being told that I'm going to be getting 5% of my pay. But now, now the thing is... so. Again, okay, let's accept that the lining is, is true in saying that Hunt had done this. Um, Hunt, in his memoirs, says that the reason they're going back to Liverpool is because uh, the secret agent at Liverpool had presumably the other half of the big bucket of gold mm, to that's allow right. Adele to in fact, pay the crew off. So <laughs> I think it's rather mischievous, given he's saying, yeah, that's the only reason we went to Liverpool, so that Waddell could get money. Um, and then, on the other hand, to tell the men... But um, you're, you're not, not going to get the money anyway. So, um, oh dear. Oh, look, and there's still two more days before we catch up. Oh, now, now here is perhaps I think the saddest, uh, the saddest part of the week. Um, yep. Thursday, August the thirty first, eighteen sixty five. Old Lee got into trouble, mind you. I think Old Lee is twenty six. So yes, this is, is the fact, this is the cousin or the nephew, nephew actually, nephew, of, Sydney uh, Smith Lee. Lee. Yes, yep. yes. Um, Old Lee got into trouble. This morning, for the first time since he has been in the Navy. Oh, dear. And it riles the old fellow a good deal. Actually, I think there's some question as to whether he is still in the Navy because the war's over. But uh, but anyway, it seems that this morning in the morning watch, he was indulging in a quiet fume, which means uh, he was smoking, not that he was angry or, (laughs) although he probably was, when Whittle came on deck and caught him in the very act some words occurred between them, and Lee, in a little fit, told him that all hell... Uh, that's not actually spelt out. It's all H-dash. All hell could not make him leave off his pipe. The fact uh, was reported to the captain, who sent for Lee and wanted him to make a promise that he would not smoke on watch again, and on Lee's refusing to make any promises, he relieved him from duty and put Bullock on. I think Bullock's going to be doing all three watches. <laughs> He's by a the busy guy, <laughs> And he also seems to be the only person who's not actually offending. He's the only person not offending the captain, which means he gets to do all the watches of the people who have offended the captain. Ah, I, I think Lee is perfectly right in not letting any promise be extorted from him. Well, look, again, because we, we know that Whittle, earlier in the cruise, went through the, the difficult and painful and soul-wrenching decision to give up smoking. And I, I happen to know that there is nobody more intolerant of use of tobacco than the, 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 the person who yes, gave up. Yes, yes, he's yeah, now a reforming yeah. zealot. <laughs> yes, and... Um, but and, um, and this would also be... Uh, now, there is, as you say, some doubt as to whether they are under military discipline or not. 
Yes, and, and they've um, certainly put away all their guns. They have put away all their guns, and again, there is some suggestion they have uh, changed out of their uniforms as well. Not that I think they are wearing many uniforms, but I, I think I think the other issue was that uh, yes, now now when Dibney minus minus scales was was booted, you know, uh, from his watch. Uh, there was a conversation with the captain where he said he, he can't do anything about your commit his commission because he's no longer the captain of a warship, but can, he's still the captain of the ship. So consider yourself a passenger. So it would be interesting to know. Um, oh, the, the only thing I know is it's a very famous scene in Moby Dick where Ahab, who is a captain, is smoking up on deck of his whaler, and he decides in a, in a Whittleonian fit that he'll yeah. You know, He'll no more smoke because, you know, what he wants is, is to kill Moby Dick and tobacco isn't helping anymore, so he throws his pipe off the deck. Which I, I'm going to do. If, if we ever get to the Charles W. Morgan, I'm going to buy a pipe for the purpose. To throw it overboard. And, 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 <laughs> and throw it overboard, yeah, yeah. Um, although I might get one of those uh, plastic-stemmed roses that apparently are used as crack pipes that you can buy at 7-Elevens in the States. But uh, uh, maybe I won't do that. Maybe that would be a silly idea. Um but so obviously on the deck of a whaler, you can smoke. But maybe the captain wasn't on watch at that time. Anyway, um, to return to Friday, September the 1st, 1865. So that is 150 years ago today. Today, the captain put his foot in it again. Oh, again? <laughs> uh, look, this, this is, you know, when you're, when you're doubling down on being an autocrat, this is not what you want, what you want to have happen. In the afternoon, he sent for all the watch officers in his cabin and began by telling them that he was very sorry that he would have to put them in three watches, but that Mr. Lee had not come forward as he expected he would do to make the promise not to smoke on his watches. He could not put him on duty and to keep Mr. Bullock on watch would be simply to punish Mr. B. Mr. Bullock, that is. I'm, I'm glad Captain Waddell finally worked that out. Because we were talking about that only two minutes ago. But yes, uh, finally the captain's worked out that this means his loyal officer is getting to do everybody else's work. Um, Grimble then spoke up and said he thought Mr. Lee was right not to make any promise and that it was a thing he did not think anyone had a right to expect from another. That he himself had smoked on watches and if he'd been caught... He expected to have been punished for it, and when punishment was over, to be restored to duty. Scales then spoke up and said that he too had smoked on his watches. Everybody's oh, saying, I am Spartacus! No, I am Spartacus! No, no, oh, no, oh, my God. Dear, dear, dear. At which confessions the captain seemed thunderstruck and said that he had nothing more to say. Afterwards, he issued a written ward order against officers smoking on their watches, or leaving the deck until regularly relieved, and restored Lee to duty. So ends this function, in quotes, um, presumably French, um, in which, like so many others, the captain has come out to leeward. I, I do like it when surgeon lining uses nautical terms. Yes, but, yes. Uh, yes. In other words, uh, the captain has screwed up yet again. Oh, come out the worse of it. Oh dear, so the captain is yet again back down because basically all his officers say, well, we all smoke. What are you going to do about it? Oh, look, you can imagine them going further and saying, oh yeah, we all drink too. We've got, you know, we all have half a pint of pint of whiskey on, on duty and, uh, and then we, we sing a horn, uh, you know, a horn pipe and uh, anyway. So th- it's not a happy ship, is it, Rob? No, no, no. Tr- trying to put the traitor on a watch, um, trying to make your men 
you know, not smoke their pipes when on duty. I think. Uh, oh dear, what uh, what are they? What are they going to do next? Well, they're going to go around the horn, if if not next soon. And uh, so now, um, I believe uh, we're going to, you know, trying to get uh, some of our guests um, on on board again in in coming weeks because again we, we thought we had fifteen or sixteen episodes to go, but I, I think if we're going to get um, guests like Barry Crompton and uh, and some of the other people we've had on uh, back on, we, we probably need to get a bit of a bit of a hurry up. Yep. But um, and and I've, we've, I've got a couple of weeks to work out how you would use a sextant to measure the height of an Antarctic iceberg, because, and then uh, compare it to a eucalyptus at- regnans or spurious blackbutt, as it's also known. Well, I th- I think. Um, yeah, now, now, was it Mueller? Mueller, who, who was Baron von Mueller. Baron yes. von Mueller, yeah, a very well-known uh, 19th century naturalist here in Victoria. But I think he was good at discovering them. I, doesn't, don't, I don't think he was good at naming them. them. And, and, and with that, with that spurious black butt-scented note of flowering <laughs> gum uh, from, from deepest uh, Blackburn South in Melbourne, where... I think we're probably but there's, there's probably some of them in the Dandenongs. The, the, the Not Dandenong, too far away. From the Dandenong me. Mountain Range. I'm sure we could go and find a spurious black butt. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll do that at a later date. And until then, this has been Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales with a Robin Mob, a Robert Love, and Michael O'Brien. I was Rob, and I am still Mob. Tally ho and ahoy.